for you are but dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Father, Lord, we commit your word tonight. I pray for your blessing on it. And I I pray, Father, you would just do a really great work in all our lives. I pray, Father, for the people here, that you would have touched them as much as what you did in my life. Uh, Father, I just pray for your blessing. pray for your Holy Spirit to move through your people. And Jesus, we give you all the glory, all the honor. Amen. Okay, um, I've mentioned here quite a number of times that uh, how I gave my life to Christ was a little unorthodox. I had a sister who became a Christian. Uh, and what she did, she actually gave me a Bible, and she gave me a Bible in 1977. That sounds like a long time ago, doesn't it? And what I did is I uh, I threw it in a, a, a backpack, and before backpackers even really existed, I said to my mum and dad, I came home and I said, uh, tomorrow I'm going to Western Australia. I was 17 at the time, and I thought I might get a little bit of argument and protest. And my dad looked at me and he goes, mm, he goes, all right, I'll drive you to Cowra. He goes. So my dad popped me in the car and off we drove to Cowra. And I remember getting out and I said, hooroo. And I just hitchhiked away and off I went. And the wild blue yonder. And I, I ended up uh, a few months at a, a place uh, called Margaret River. I lived there for, for a period of time. And and then uh, through the course of events, I ended up at Mount Tom Price. I don't know if anyone anyone been here to Mount Tom Price. And I got a job working in the deserts uh, uh, there in the Hammersley Range. And my job was to walk along pipelines. And at that stage, it was just prior to that, I began and pulled out of my backpack the Bible because I didn't have anyone to talk to. And I began to read a Bible. And I only heard one thing ever my sister said. She said, start at the New Testament. Praise God, I just heard that one thing. And so I read through the New Testament and something happened in my life and that literally changed my life. And I was so challenged at who Jesus was. And, you know, I'd criticized the Bible, I'd criticized Christians, I, uh, I was completely pagan uh, in, in my whole worldview. But here I was reading a Bible in the desert of Western Australia, and I just devoured the New Testament, read right through the New Testament, and I thought, boy, I'm going to read that again. I read right through it a second time, I read right through it a third time. And what I, I'd never even heard of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think I heard the term once at a church when I used to go on C&E, uh, Christmas and Easter. I think I'd heard the term, but I never even knew there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit or that whole aspect uh, of dynamic. And, uh, and then I, I didn't even know, no one was there in the deserts of Western Australia to tell me, this is what you do to become a Christian. And I think I've told this story, I walked out the first time and I, I remember the first time I ever prayed. You've got to understand all my life I'd never prayed. And I remember the first time and I, I thought like I felt so stupid and so awkward. And I remember standing there uh, just in the bush and, and I looked around to make sure no one was looking. And this was my first prayer ever. I went, God, if you were there, prove it. Amen. <laughs> That was as far as I got. And, uh, and it's a long story, and I'll tell the full story one day. It's quite, quite a laugh, actually. It's quite amusing. But through the circumstance, I found uh, within weeks I was actually communicating with God. And, and my whole life changed, and I literally was devouring the New Testament. And so I, 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 I was spending all this time, and then I thought, well, I'll go back and read the Old Testament. And so I began to read Genesis 
And, you know, I was evolutionist, and so I had a few problems with early Genesis, you know. Like for all those years of my life, it was my father up a tree. I didn't even believe there was a father up in heaven. And suddenly I'm praying to a father up in heaven. And and I started to read Genesis, and, I, you know, I had a lot of questions. Where did Cain get his wife? All these other questions that everyone else has. And I had all these questions. I was really there and uh, sorting this out. And I read through Genesis, and Genesis was fairly entertaining. But then I... I hit Exodus, and it was pretty entertaining for about 17 chapters. And then they had a little conference on a hill, and dear God, for the rest of that book, it was just all about furniture and tents and, and stuff, and, and, and I didn't have a clue. you got to understand, I had no one there in church to tell me a thing. I'm just reading this stuff, first time in my life. And so I read all this stuff, and I just didn't have a clue. And then I got into Leviticus. And I, I really, I, I was really determined. I was going to read through this Old Testament. I got into Leviticus, and and those that have actually led, read Leviticus, um, if you ever got insomnia, it's a good place to start. Um, and and uh, by the time I was into Leviticus, I got into all that holiness and blood and guts and 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 and, and it just like. It, I, I, I really, I just tried to get out of there as quick as I could. And I got into Numbers, and there was just this one long genealogy. And I go, what's this here for? And I read through, and it just made no sense at all. And then I got to Numbers chapter 11, and I read about a guy who got stoned to death for picking up sticks on a Saturday. And, and, and I, I, I looked at that, and I just went, mate, this is so far left field. I don't really fully understand this. And then there was all these wilderness wanderings and grumbling and complaining. And then I, then I hit Deuteronomy. And uh, and Deuteronomy was 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 not far above Leviticus, and and Deuteronomy, man, alive! It was just all this re- repetition of the Book of Exodus, and and there was all this stuff, and 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 you know, I really had to work hard to get through those first five books of the Bible. Then I hit Joshua, and then I had all the problems. It got interesting, but I got all these problems about how could God be so nasty to the Canaanites? And then I got through that, and I hit the book of Joshua, and uh, uh, sorry, the book of Judges. And Judges was really entertaining, except the last five chapters, and it just churned me up inside. You ever read the last five chapters of Judges? It was just like Nightmare on Elm Street, tenfold. Like they couldn't even get near what happens in those final chapters. And then Book of Ruth. Oh, hallelujah. It was just like an oasis in the desert. And I sat in that little book. It was short. It was nice. And, and everyone loves a love story, don't they? Everyone loves it. It was just like a little oasis. And then, then I, I, you know, I got through First Samuel, Second Samuel, and, and David. There were some real entertaining parts. And then you, know, you, you just get through that long section, First Kings, Second Kings, and First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. And you wait all the way through there. And you know, it was interesting parts. And there was parts I just didn't have the fault what was going on but I was determined I was going to read it and then then by the time I hit ne- Nehemiah and Ezra or Ezra and Nehemiah I, I tell you I didn't I, the, I didn't know ex- where in the world that was at and and, and then I hit Job and Job you know you're a total pagan and you've come into Christianity and you try Job now that that is that is uh you know for, for the first three chapters I hung in there 
And then there was just this long dialogue. And I couldn't work out who was who. And, and I got through the 42 chapters of Job, and I hit suddenly Psalms. And I, and, and I could relate with the Psalms, and I could re- even relate more with Proverbs. I could really relate to Proverbs. And then, you know, I got through that in Ecclesiastes. I didn't have like It had to be a comedy section. And then there's a little book called Song of, Song of Solomon. And, mate, it should have been plastic paper sealed, you know. It, it, it was, I tell you, it was my BC days. I tell you, I, I read that and, and, and I thought, whoo. And, and I got through that. And then you've got that long section from Isaiah to Malachi. Now, I want you to be really honest. Have you tried to go through Isaiah to Malachi? Now, I, I, I tell you, I, I, I hooked through and I was just determined, I'm going to get through this, I'm going to get through this. And by the time I hit that Jeremiah and Lamentations, I was weeping. I was going, oh God, get me out of this. And, and so I got all the way through that in Ezekiel and Ezekiel was just like, it was just space cadet. It was so far out there. I, I, I didn't have a clue and I, I got through Ezekiel and, and oh, I got to Daniel. And Daniel was fun because I was in end times and, and I thought, man, this is... You know, I was real interested that the world was going to end and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and my brother-in-law had sent me a couple of books. And the first books I ever read as a Christian was he sent me all these end-time books that the world is going to end. And, and, and so they're the first literature I ever read as a Christian in the deserts of Western Australia. And so, uh, and, and then, you know, I, I just got through all of that stuff. And then you get those little minor prophets. And dear God, they're still hard to find in the Bible today, aren't they? That, they move. You ever notice that? Someone says, why don't you look up, you know, a little guy called Obadiah and you go, I'm sure Obadiah was here last time. And he shifts, doesn't he? He moves around. And, and, and be honest. Let's be honest. By the time I got through the Old Testament, eventually I got there and I got to the end of Malachi. And the last verse of Malachi says, you know, may the hearts of the fathers be one to the children, the children's hearts to the fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. And I shut the book and I went, yep, <laughs> that's how I feel. And, you know, but I, I really enjoyed the New Testament. But in the New Testament, I had struggles even in the New Testament. In the New Testament, uh, when I came there, uh, it didn't concentrate on what I wanted it to concentrate on. It had a little bit about Jesus' birth, a little snippet when he's 13 years of age. And all the years at the time I was at the age of, not one thing about Jesus. It's just a silent book for 20 years. And the other thing with the New Testament, I wanted all this stuff about the end of the world because I was reading these books about the end of the world. And I wanted, uh, you know, uh, 26 books on that in the New Testament, just one on how to live. That was was where I wanted, you know, and, and it was more or less where I was at. Now, I had an experience when I came back from the deserts of Western Australia and I, I never even walked into a church. First six to eight months as a Christian, never even walked through the door. And, but I got born again in the deserts of Western Australia, and I knew I needed to go to church. So, so I, I, I came back east, and I went to church for the first time. And so that was a novel experience. It's actually, incidentally, how I met Sue. Uh, that's another little interesting story. But I met Sue as I was trying to, to, to work out church. And so that's where I met her. Uh, but I had an experience. I went to uh, Hawkesbury Agriculture College. And I had an experience that's got tremendous bearing with what I've, all I've just said. I had this experience when I went there. They had an initiation rite. And all the third-year guys would come in. And what they would do at some, time, some stage during the year to put the first years in their place, what they would do is they'd come in and 
and they'd break into your room at some night they designated in the middle of winter. And they grabbed you, whatever you were wearing, out of your bed. They tied you up. They blindfolded you. And what they then did is they grabbed things around the room. So if you're dressed in pajamas, that's what you wore. If you wore just little knickers to bed, well, that's what you wore. Whatever they pulled you out of bed, that's what they took you in. And they blindfolded uh, the, the, the initiates. And then what they did is they grabbed things around the room. They might grab a radiator, a box of books, various things, and they threw it all in the car. And then what they did is they did just drive. And they drive about, sometimes they were merciful, they'd drive 15 minutes or, or you know, and push you out of the car. And it actually took one lot of guys and they tied them all, chained them together, and they pushed them out with nothing on and gave them a golf club each. <laughs> and that was a, quite a novel experience. Um, but for my group, they, they, they didn't catch me. I heard them coming and I got up a pine tree. And I was up that pine tree and, man, they were trying to hunt me down. But they took all my friends and they blindfolded them. One of my friends got taken and he got taken and they drove him nearly two hours into the Blue Mountains. And then they pushed him out in the middle of the country and just left him go. And here he was. He stood up. He's in his pajamas. He takes the blindfold off and he hasn't got a clue where he is. He's just standing in the middle of nowhere, and there he's got, he's got a suitcase of books, he's got a radiator, he's in his pajamas, and he had something else. So he thought, what do I do? And so he put all the things in, he didn't have a clue where he was, he didn't know whether he was north, south, east or west, didn't have a clue. And so he just began walking, and he, he, he was on the side of this road, and he just walked, and he saw this farmhouse, and he thought, well, I better go and find out where I am. And so he went to this farmhouse, he knocked on the door, and he said, hello. Hello, can you imagine that farmer? Whoa, there's been an escapee from the asylum that's just rolled in. And here he is with his box of books and, and his radiator. He's standing in the middle of winter. He's freezing to death. And this was his first thing he said. He said, where am I? <laughs> that's, that's what he asked. And he goes, where? Because he didn't have a clue where he was. And they, they told him the location he was. And they were very merciful people. They helped him. And, and matter, they, they took him to a town and put him on a train. And he ended up getting home. Okay? And that's the sort of the story. But what? That story reminded me of is exactly what happened to me when I got born again into Christ. I, I, I found that suddenly my life changed. I began praying. I began reading the Word. And, and I understood like some things, but the Bible was a mystery. It was just a big, big box of jigsaw pieces. You know, I got little bits here and there, but I could not get the big picture. And I had another experience I just want to share. I remember in 1981, I went and lived in North America for two years. And I remember flying in, and I flew into San Fran and straight from San Fran to Minnesota. And I got into Minnesota, and I had excellent sense of direction in the Southern Hemisphere. But in the Northern Hemisphere, I found that I thought I was going north and I was going south. And, and people go, oh, you know, it's uh, just, just head north. And I'd head off south. And I'd be going, what's going on? And, and then you realize the sun's all different and everything's backward. And what I needed was a map. Is That's what I really needed because I couldn't work out what was east, west, up or down. Very similar experience to what my friend had. And what I want to do on these weeks, I want to come and take you on a journey that took me a lot of pain and agony in those early years to try and work out where I sat in the kingdom of God and to understand why my Bible was put together the way it was. And this changed my life. Now, what happened, I first came across initially some teaching by a charismatic preacher called Malcolm Smith uh, many years ago now. And I listened to that material and he 
set me on a journey and a journey of discovery and that's that journey I want to I want to begin to share here tonight. So let's begin with this. Your Bible is actually divided into Old Testament, New Testament. Now in the deserts of Western Australia, I thought that meant old book, new book. I didn't have a clue. Now it's a good place to start because most Christians have never thought about that either, but your Bible is actually divided that way. And the interesting thing with that is the word testament is just the Latin word for the word covenant. That's all it is. It's the Latin word for covenant. And the church fathers actually put that terminology, Old Testament, New Testament. So we have that there on the screen. Uh, We jump over there. Uh, And uh, the word covenant in the Greek language is a word called diatheke, and it just simply means an agreement between individuals, uh, a league or, or whatever, between two parties. But it's the Old Testament particularly, and this is where I want to go. The Old Testament word for covenant, and I want to teach you this so you'll get it, is the word bereth. Can you say that? Bereth. That is the word for covenant in the Old Testament. Now, that word is very pictorial. Uh, the Hebrew language actually is very, incidentally, a very pictorial language. Anyone been here to New Guinea? Anyone been to, or Pigeon English, where they've spoken Pigeon English? It's a fun language, isn't it? I remember years ago there was an old song that used to go from the rising of the sun to the going. Do you remember? Anyway, uh, before your time, okay, you remember that? Now, is in Pigeon English, it was neat. They go from sunny come up to sunny go top to sunny go down. <laughs> It was so pictorial. And Hebrew is a little like that. And what happens is this word with covenant, it's a pictorial word. And what it means, it means to cut or divide. That's literally what it means with the shedding of blood. This is why people use this term blood covenant. And I've discovered that the Bible is not arranged how I want it to be arranged is because it didn't follow the theme that I thought it should follow. I wanted 27 chapters on Genesis to explain creation, but just gives you two. Is because the Bible, in fact, follows the path of covenant. That's what it follows. And when you understand that, everything begins to fall into place. You will realize why your Bible is even arranged the way it's been arranged. Now, a covenant just simply means this. It means a, a mutual understanding between two parties where each binds himself to fulfill certain obligations and promises. And from that point onwards, the two parties of the breath become one in fortune, prosperity, debt, and responsibility. This agreement was legally binding, being sealed with the shedding of blood and an oath. And that's why it was given this Hebrew word, breath, or blood covenant. Now, what I read to you tonight is actually the first words of covenant in the Old Testament. And, uh, and that's why I began there. Uh, and I want to touch on this, is God had originally said to man in Genesis 1.26, it just says, Then the Lord God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the birds of the sky, over the cattle of the, all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, we looked at this when we looked at the nature and character of God. But God is triune. The scripture says that. Uh, in, in the nature and the person of the one God, there are three co-equal, co-eternal persons. Now, that in the personhood of God, if I can say that, there was a relationship between the persons of the Godhead from eternity. And I want to suggest to you that was covenant relationship. 
And covenant relationship is in fact a, a eternal relationship. And when God said, let us create man in our image, what it's saying there is man was created as a covenant being. And as man created in covenant, it meant that he was to be in union in covenant relationship with God. But God created them as male and female. And God made them covenant beings in their relationship to one another. And, and marriage, which I want to touch on a moment, speaks of that. But the covenant that God created man in, some theologians, particularly the Reformed theologians, have called it a covenant of works. Now on the screen there, I just ex- explain how this covenant worked and it'll have the bearing there was two parties God and man there were conditions of this covenant that God gave obedience to one command God placed a tree in the garden a tree of the knowledge of good and evil and another tree called the tree of life and God says do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and so God gave man dominion over all the earth and he gave man one condition Only one thing to remind him that he was still sovereign Lord over this earth. And that was that tree. And the condition of this covenant was the obedience to that covenant that man would not eat from that tree. And God gave a promise. He gave a promise that if man uh, uh, was faithful to that covenant, that he would receive the reward or eternal life. He'd be able to partake of the tree of life. But if that was broken... Mankind would enter a curse, and that curse, of course, uh, culminated in what the Bible calls death, uh, is death. Now, Hosea 6-7 says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant there, and they dealt treacherously against me. And what Hosea actually refers to is the very initial covenant that man was created in with God. And man disobeyed that covenant. And in so disobeying it, brought down a curse upon himself. And so man sinned in Genesis 3. We're we're aware of that. And I was speaking last Sunday morning exactly on this. And the devil had said uh, to the woman, he said, uh, you know, if you partake of that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, your eyes will be opened and you'll become like God. And so um, instead of their eyes being open, the woman ate and then she gave the fruit to the man. And what they found was they didn't become like God, like the devil suggested. In matter of fact, their eyes were open to their shame and they realized they were naked. Now, I want you to think about this. Every animal in creation has a coat or some form of covering or cladding except one, and that's humanity. Now, I'll only suggest this to you, but what did man lose in the fall? And I'll suggest to you, he lost his covering. That's why he became naked. He lost the glory of God. And the glory of God departed from him when he sinned. Now, man disobeyed this covenant. The theologians call this one the covenant of works. And God said, Adam, where are you? And a gulf or a chasm occurred between humanity and with God. Now, Genesis 3, 12, uh, man uh, is called to account. Now, you remember the count? He goes, he says this to God. The woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. It's her fault. 
You, you remember that? And um, men have been doing it ever since. But anyway, uh, uh, he blames the woman. Now, now that woman, he, he was really taken with her the first time. It, like and, and I, I talked about this last Sunday, but the Hebrew word for man is ish, and, and the Hebrew word for woman is ish sha. <laughs> and and when he first saw the woman, he went ish She she looks good. But when he when he looked at uh, her, he he was he was really taken with. It. But now it's this woman that you gave me, and he blames the woman, and he actually the insolence of this. He goes, God, it's your fault you created her wrong you created all, all these thoughts it's a little bit like when people get into trouble you know it's her fault <laughs> and, and you know the, 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 whatever the situation and anyway a gulf of separation occurred amongst their lives and this brought the curses of broken covenant and genesis 3 is the announcement of curses of broken covenant very quickly there on the screen i'll flick over there uh thanks um who's on the on the thing there, Aaron. Okay. Uh, now, just to very quickly summarize these curses. I, I, I don't want to spend much time here, but the servant, serpent had three things. And there was a prophecy given, and we looked at this last Sunday, that particularly related with the woman. But the serpent, there was told that there would be enmity to the woman between his seed and her seed, and the seed that she would bring would bruise him on the head. The woman was told she would have travail in childbirth and all girls. Uh, wasn't that a problem right from the beginning? And, uh, and her desire would be for a husband, but she would be, uh, under the curse state, be dominated. And then for the man, he would travail in work. The same word used there for the woman. And the creation would be cursed through him. Thorns and thistles, it will grow you all your days. And to dust he would return and it culminates in death. But Adam was the one that was blamed for death is because Adam willingly disobeyed. The woman was deceived. Adam willingly disobeyed. Now, this means that Adam became, as you like, a head of all the human race. Romans 5.12 just says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all men sinned. This means all the children that came from Adam as our covenant head, you could say this, have all come under this same curse. Genesis 3.20, it says, Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And I was sharing on this last Sunday, is Adam recognized the promise of Genesis 3.15 that it would be fulfilled through the woman and he believed in faith. Now this leads to me to verse 21, our crucial verse for the night. Because he believed in faith, Genesis 3.21, and it says, And the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, if you understand what's happening here, because of broken covenant, God reissues his blood covenant to bring Adam back into relationship with God. And forever after this verse, you'll find blood covenant is actually the theme of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's why our Bible is arranged with that title even given to it. Now, the first gospel sermon preached, not by word, but by action and by picture, was here in Genesis 3.21. And God provided a way for these, these two who had broken covenant to escape the sentence of death. Now, God said, the day that you sin, you will die. Now, man died spiritually immediately. He began to die in his soul. He said, I ran because I was afraid. And eventually, he would die physically death but God was true to his word and Adam should have died that first day 
because of the curse. And what happened is God instead put an innocent animal that died in his place and God clothed Adam with the skins of those animals. But blood was shed. Now, it's very interesting uh, that until that point, man didn't know what death was. So the first thing he saw, the first picture of death he saw was in fact sacrifice for him. And he saw the death of those animals or animal. And he sees this animal slain as a substitute for him. I've got a friend who lives in Wales. She runs a sheep, uh, uh, what do you call it there, farm, ranch or whatever. Sue and I visited her in uh, 1987 and got a beautiful farm on, on sort of the northwest side of, of Wales and in all the hills there. And a, a very, very picturesque place. And I was there and we, we were, were visiting a place and she lives in a grand old sort of Welsh house, you know, hundreds of years old. And, and, you know, she has tourists come over from Europe to visit her, work on a property and things like that. But they've got sheep there. And one of the things that she had that, that day that, um, when we were there, she had a, a, a young sheep that was born as an orphan. And it was born, uh, and she is a real caring person, she had this young orphan sheep. Now, usually those young orphan sheep will die unless she can get a mother to adopt them. Now, this is what she did. She went and she found another sheep that the, uh, uh, that the mother had given birth to, but the lamb had died. And what she did, she skinned the lamb of the dead lamb. She took the skin off it, and she came and wrapped her orphan lamb in the skin of that of that a lamb that had died, and she clothed it in the skin. And then she took that sheep to that mother, and the mother ran up to that sheep, and she sniffed the sheep, and she smelt her own lamb, and she instantly adopted that lamb. And that there, that picture is exactly, I believe, a wonderful picture of what God does here. He clothes, matter of fact, all Jewish traditions said the lamb that was slain here uh, the animal that was slain was in fact a lamb. And God uh, clothed this uh, uh, humanity with this skin of an animal. And through the shedding of blood, man was accepted. First uh, Peter 1, 19 to 20 just says, With the precious blood of a lamb, unblemished, spotless, the blood of Christ, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Now, written into humanity... And this is where my theme is tonight. Written into humanity at that time was the knowledge that the way back to God is through blood covenant and through the shedding of blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Now, all the modern humanists and all the, all the you know, secularists, they don't want a bloody religion. They don't want that. But Ancient humanity, they carried with them the knowledge that there was only one way to go back to God, and that was through bereft. It was covenant that they broke, and it must be covenant that they brought back into God. Now, covenant became written into every culture in the earth at that time. And it spread through the earth, particularly after the Tower of Babel. Now, it became a part of the cultures of Mesopotamia, South America, is the African tribes. If anyone's ever read the stories of Henry Stanley, who went in search of Dr. Livingston, you ever remember uh, that Dr. Livingston who went to the deepest, darkest Africa? And he just disappeared off the face of the earth, and the British sent Henry Stanley to try and find Dr. Livingston. 
Now, eventually, Henry Stanley found Dr. Livingston, but he had to course the whole of internal Africa to attempt to find him. And you might remember is, is the old story. I remember there was an old Moody Blues song, Stepping Out of the Jungle Blue. Anyway, that's a little carry aside. Uh, and, and, and Dr. Livingston finally stepped out of the jungle. But when Henry Stanley wrote his memoirs of his travels in Africa, this is what he said. He said, oh, he said, my dear God, my poor arms. And, and literally, he was scarred from the tips of his hands to his shoulder. And he, he said he wore in his marks all the marks of blood covenant. Is because every time he went into Africa, is, it was very hostile era of history but what he did is he made blood covenant with the african tribes and when he walked into the next villages as they next villages ran to kill him and to, and to move down and destroy him he held up his arms and in his arms he wore the mark of covenant with the previous village and the villagers would stop and they would not attack him why is because he wore in his body the mark he was in covenant relationship with the previous village. And he said this in his memoirs, we conquered Africa through blood covenant. That was what he said in his memoirs. And so, so entrenched in the ancient world is this concept. And so in doing this concept of covenant they pledged themselves to certain obligations and promises and the two parties became one in fortune one in debt responsibility and this agreement was legally sealed always over the shedding of blood and an oath now let me just explain and we're going to come back to this very very much in the weeks to come but there were issues of how they cut covenant and i very quickly put them up tonight but if i was going to make covenant i would exchange a coat with someone we would exchange coats then we'd do a thing we'd exchange weapons and we'd exchange those weapons and that was an indication that we would be uh, uh we we're going to become one my defense would be your defense then we would exchange names uh even the first covenant man and woman were created in covenant his name was ish what was her name isha is adam's name was in her name and um and we'll come back to that in a moment, is then they did the blood cutting and they usually marked their wrist or their arm, just like Henry Stanley did, to put some form of mark to remember that covenant by. They, they did it with a seal. And then they split an animal. And we'll come back to this. They split an animal and they walked between the pieces of the animal in a figure eight motion. And we'll come back to this. Is the very pattern they walked through that animal as they declared the promises and the blessings of the covenant was a figure eight or what we now know as the symbol of eternity okay but we'll, I'll, I'll come back and I'll, I'll illustrate this in the weeks to come and they said an oath and a promise they declared the conditions of the covenant they declared all the blessings all the curses they set up a memorial they had a covenant meal and then they set up covenant attorneys to always remember the covenant by now the covenant when that happened this would result is they would become covenant heads. All their children would enter into that covenant as well. And then they had this term. They could then call one another friends. We use friends very cheaply today. 
but in the ancient world they did not. A friend was actually a blood brother. It was a covenant brother. And then they used a special word in the Hebrew to describe that is a Hebrew word called kesed. The New American Standard Bible calls it loving kindness. The, the New King James, I think, has the word mercy uh, sometimes, sometimes steadfast love. I think uh, NIV uses a very similar terminology. And then the two became one in debt. Weakness, wealth, strength, and defense. When one partner was insulted, then both partners were hurt together. When one was attacked, the other would come to their rescue. So if I was in covenant, if you attack me, you attack my blood brother. And if my blood brother is Arnold Schwarzenegger, you got a problem. Is because you might think you can push me around, but you wait till my blood brother turns up, you got a problem because you got to fight him as well, not just me. You understand? Now, the most clearly written into humanity is this in marriage and marriage is perhaps the best illustration of this and man was created in covenant and so the two are called one flesh and Adam would say this bone of my bone and they exchange names even in modern wedding ceremonies today we do this is the woman usually takes something of the man's name and inserts it into hers so my wife used to be called sue harris and then she took my name and she becomes sue strawn she took my name which meant covenant relationship there was a wedding ring you realize wedding rings are just simply symbols of we are chained by love it's a covenant symbol to declare that they're in covenant there is promises uh there was the giving of the vows uh there was a memorial there's a wedding certificate usually with a marriage there is covenant attorneys people who are going to watch over that the covenant will be always honored and those covenant attorneys uh are usually uh your witnesses at the wedding and then there is a covenant meal or a wedding meal but here's what i want you to get and you're all adults here we haven't got i don't think we've got any young kids you're all adults you can handle this is God created men and women as covenant beings. And women alone in all of creation are born with a hymen, which means when they consummate relationship in marriage, it is sealed over the shedding of blood because it's a covenant relationship. And a covenant relationship is inviolable. It should never ever be broken and this generation does not understand covenant because this generation is just rampant with divorce but when you break covenant you bring down curses upon yourself and even the book of Gen- uh, the book of old testament ends this way lest the land come and be smitten with a curse and one of the things that will always go hand in hand with a cursed nation is the issue of divorce or covenant breaking and so uh, this marriage is actually probably the best picture we have. Now, very quickly, and I, I'm just going to wind this, wind this up, but this is a foundation night. Now, covenants with men also applied. Now, I just recently preached on this in the Joshua series, but when Joshua went into the land of Israel or the land of Canaan, a group of people, the Gibeonites, Canaanites, people who had a curse and said they should be judged. I think I got it very quickly on the screen there. Um, is Deuteronomy said to destroy all the people, the Hivites. And what happened is the Gibeonites in Joshua 9, 6 says, came and tricked Israel in making a covenant with them. And Joshua made the covenant. And then what would happen is the rest of the Canaanites would then turn around and try and destroy the Gibeonites. And what Joshua did is he turned around and he honored the covenant 
even though he has been deceived into it. In other words, covenant spoke higher than law. And he would not do what Moses said is because covenant had the highest, highest regard for them. Now, this is where I want to get to is God made covenants with humanity. Because man broke covenant, God, for the rest of the Old Testament, and even the way it's arranged, is the way God made covenant with humanity. And men can't make covenant with God because what have you got to offer God? Your sin? Well, that's going to be a good deal for God, isn't it? Get your sin. And what do you get in return? His bank account? His armor? It's pretty weighted one side. Now, the pagan world always thought it could enter a relationship with their gods. This, this on the screen here, just to give example in the book of Judges, very quickly there, is uh, in Judges, Judges 8.33, talks about Baal Bereth. You see the terminology? That's what's used in your Bible. But the Canaanites formed a covenant with their god Baal. And they thought they had something to offer their God, and that God had something to offer them. Judges 9.46 talks about Elbereth, the chief Canaanite deity. And they had a covenant with that deity. But humanity cannot form a covenant with God. It must be God that initiates the covenant with him. And so God's going to take the initiative, and he's going to take a people, and he's going to change a people where he calls them friends, where they become one in fortune, one in debt, in defense, in weakness, one in wealth, and one in wholeness. And this is the big picture of the Bible. If you get this, you will get the map. You'll understand what is north and south. You'll understand what is east and west. You'll understand why the Bible is arranged the way it is and why it's in this way. Now, very quickly, and I'm going to come back to this very strongly in the weeks to come but your old testament is made up of six covenants that god initiated with humanity and if you understand those six covenants the whole bible will open to you and then finally god will initiate a seventh covenant with humanity that we now know as the new covenant now very quickly the first one we've already looked at tonight man was created in covenant a covenant of works the second one was the one i also looked at tonight the covenant in eden genesis 3 is a mountaintop scripture you get that scripture you'll fill all the valleys in between and it is a prototype of all the covenants to come and the way humanity would be won back to god is through covenant so it is the story and follows bereth in the bible the third covenant which we'll look at next time i'm with you not next week but the week after is the covenant with Noah and that covenant that was made with Noah is the covenant with all the earth but it was not disconnected with the covenant in Eden it flowed from that it was connected to that the next covenant after that that we'll get to is the covenant with Abraham that God initiated and then the fifth covenant is the covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai that God initiated and it wasn't disconnected to the covenant of Abraham wasn't disconnected to the covenant of Noah they're all one I'll explain that as we go through many many Christians do not understand this and and don't come to a full grip of understanding their Bible finally in the Old Testament there is a covenant with David a covenant with a king so it goes there prototype of covenant covenant with the earth covenant with a father covenant with with uh, a nation and then under that's a subgroup it's not a different covenant but a covenant with Levi and then there's a covenant with David a covenant with a kingdom and a king and finally you'll come down in your Bible to the seventh covenant which is the new covenant 
And if you understand how those covenants work in the Old Testament, you will begin to see why even your New Testament is arranged the way it is. And it'll, it'll just become very clear. Now, just as I finish and just about done, Genesis 3.21 onwards, what I read tonight is the story of covenant in the Bible. Now, all the animals, the animal that God slayed in Genesis 3.21 to cover humanity is those animals were simply IOU notes. You ever had a money box and you go, you didn't have the money, well, you write the, the, the IOU note and you put it in the money box. One day it will be paid in full and one day you're working towards that. So what are those books of Numbers, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? You'll never understand them until you understand the covenant. But as soon as you understand this, all those books of the Bible come alive. You'll understand them. Everything will become plain. Who are the Old Testament prophets? Very simply, they are the covenant attorneys who were to watch over the covenant in the Old Testament. That's why there's such a long section in your Old Testament that are those prophets, because they are the covenant attorneys announcing broken covenant. Now, let me just come to this, is the final thing I want to say here tonight, is when we come to the New Testament, you have those six old covenants uh, in the Old Testament come to flower and fruition in the New Testament. And Jesus Christ, of course, would become that land who would be the one who was slain all the way back from Genesis 3.21. And he would fulfill that prophecy given to the devil right back there under the curse of first broken covenant that he would crush the serpent's head, that he would come through the woman and he would come through suffering. That was the curse that was put on her. Jesus would come through suffering and he would do that through the woman alone. He would come and then he would take the curses of the broken covenant of Eden. And when you begin to understand this, and as we come to the weeks to come, you will begin to see this very, very clearly. Jesus would go and he would go to a place called Gethsemane and he would travail in prayer and he would carry his own cross. You see, a cross is a tree. He will carry the, the, the curse of broken covenant upon his back and he will wear. Do you remember what was thrust upon his brow? As he was there, as Pilate and, and, and Herod uh, mocked and ridiculed him. What did they thrust on his brow? Is a crown of thorns. Why? Is because he was carrying on his brow the curse of broken covenant of Genesis chapter 3. Now, Pilate and Herod and the soldiers didn't have a clue what he was doing, but that's what he was doing. And he would embrace death for humanity. He would take the curse of that. And in John 19.30, as Jesus hung on the cross, you remember his final words, he would yell from that cross, it is finished. You want the real Greek for that? Paid in full. And Jesus paid all the curses of broken covenant on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And Jesus entered us into the final covenant or the divine bereath which we now live in. And that is the journey where we're going. Amen. And if you will stick with me in these weeks, I will guarantee you, you are... Uh, um, I know even in Snippet, can I just say this, even the little bits I've even done, even with the YWAM groups, when they see this, this is why they get me back. They want it back because they can see it. And you'll find that you'll begin to see your Bible like you've never seen it before 
and you'll know who you are in Jesus Christ. And tonight, I've been straight teaching, but this is going to bless you. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We honor you tonight. And Lord, I just thank you. I thank you firstly for our Bibles. I thank you for your word. But Father, I pray for every person here. And Lord, as we go through what we're going to go through, I pray, Lord, that you'll put your blessing and your hand on this teaching. I pray literally people in this room would begin to learn and understand their authority in you. Father, they would learn and they would receive from you full understanding of your plan and your work of redemption. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, we give you all the glory and honor, and we thank you for the plan of covenant that brought us into relationship with you. And to you be all the praise, all the glory and the honor. Amen.